the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is in the building. I am not feeling super well, so this is going to be a Matt Penny uh, special today. Uh, Penny, what up, Ben? I am not in the building. I'm great. I'm here to be an energy giver. I'm, yeah. the, I'm the guy from the energy bus, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you some of this good juju over here. You're, you're a little under the weather, but you look comfortable. Wearing a nice sweatshirt. You look yep. semi-relaxed. I'm sorry you're not feeling physically well, but oh, mentally yeah. you're feeling all right. The uh, the I got my third vaccine shot yesterday, so the booster, and every time I've gotten a vaccine shot, it has knocked me on my ass. So uh, that's that's what we're dealing with today. So Penny going to be playing his role of, uh, you know, back, back when he was a walk-on. He was the energy giver. He was the, uh, that's he was right. the guy on the bench. Like, he was just out here. You, you know what? And, and as a former walk-on, always be prepared. I, I Actually, I have a towel here. So if we need to whip it around a little bit <laughs> and, get, and get the energy on the Game Theory podcast, that's what I'm here for. I, I might need it just to wipe sweat from my brow. <laughs> like, that, that, that might be what happens. Just, like, I, I will break out into a cold sweat, like, in the middle oh, of this podcast. Oh, man. And man. we will... Uh, we will see how I function. Okay. Yeah. So today on the show, we are going to run through uh, the best guard in the 2022 NBA draft class. We're, I don't know if it's going to be like hashtag embrace debate or if it's going to be like a, uh, you know, just the discussion. We'll see. That tends to be more what Matt and I do. But we're going to talk about that. I would imagine that Jaden Ivey and Johnny Davis are particularly mentioned pretty heavily uh, within that discussion. Then we're going to move to a new segment that Penny and I are going to do weekly in some regard, which will be the race for number one, where we talk about the guys that are genuine contenders right now. We have got uh, Chet Holmgren, Paulo Bancaro, and Jabari Smith. Uh, maybe Jaden Ivey to some extent, but... Probably not at this point, I would say. But we're going to just kind of run through and see, you know, how those guys are playing, what they have coming up this week, uh, and discuss them. Then we're going to go into freshman emergences. Over the last month, there have been a lot of really, really interesting uh, pieces of tape from freshmen like Peyton Watson and Josh Minot, Penny's King, uh, and then guys like Max Christie and Jeremy Sohan that people you know already have well established on their boards in some respect. So we want to talk about some of those guys. We have a great little mailbag segment coming that I'm very excited about. And then we will finish with prospects of the week as well as what other nonsense comes up at the end. Penny. I ran through that somehow. How am I doing so far? Am I functioning? So, so far, so good. You've, you've tricked me so far. <laughs> I I, uh, I have not tricked myself. I can assure you of that. <laughs> My body hates me. First topic. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about the guards. So we wanted to it. run through just a discussion of where the guard class essentially stands in this 2022 NBA draft because it feels a little bit down to me, to be honest. Right now, uh, I have guys that would be genuinely considered guards. Uh, I have three in the top 10 and I have four in the lottery period. Uh, those names include Jaden Ivey, Johnny Davis, uh, Ty Ty Washington and Dyson Daniels. I, you know, just, I guess you could throw in Ben Matherin. I guess you could throw in, um, you know, some of the other guards. Like if you want to toss Blake Wesley into that mix, but um, I, I don't, 
necessarily call those guys other than Wesley guards. Like I think that Ben Matherin's a wing. I think that someone like Kendall Brown is a wing. So oh, yeah. uh, definition, definitionally, uh, there are some, you know, different things that could be discussed, but we want to talk about the best guards today. And it does in general feel like this guard class in the 2022 NBA draft is down. Uh, would you agree, Penny? Uh, a, a little bit down, but I, I will say that I've been enthused anyway by a little bit more in the two guys. We'll go into depth here, I think, in Jaden Ivey and Johnny Davis. I didn't think those guys were going to be what they are right now and what they could be in six months, a year, two years from now. So I, I'm trying to take a positive spin on I went in probably even lower on guards, and those are two that have popped up that I, I think are really good options for teams in the lottery that need a little bit of jolt of energy like you in their lineup. Yeah, uh, definitely like me. Um, it's interesting to me, uh, when I talk to people about Johnny Davis, and let's start with Johnny Davis, right? Yeah. Everyone is so excited about the rise. Everyone is so excited about the jump that he has made in order to become a genuine lottery prospect. Mm-hmm. Do you get any sort of resistance from people that are just going like, man, like we really like Johnny Davis. We'd love to take him at number 10, but man, if you're taking that guy in the top five, I don't, I don't know if that's like the right, you know, if, if that's a top five quality player, I guess. Cause I, I continue to get a little bit of that pushback. I would say a little bit. I, I, I've talked to some scouts that are, are higher than others that would be happy taking him in the top five others. Yeah. In a traditional draft, if I was taking that guy 10th. I'd be doing backflips. But you, you kind of play the hand that you're dealt. These are the prospects that are in this current draft class. We have to evaluate it as such. I'm not saying these two guys are, are Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball, but there was yeah. a, a kind of similar feeling like during that draft. Like, who's number one? These guys should be like six or seven. What tier prospect is LaMelo even going to be? They've both penned out. They've both been okay. So as I've kind of adjusted – my own eyes and expectations after a loaded draft at the top this year. I'm sorry, last year. This just looks and, and feels a little bit different, but I, I like both of those guys in legitimate cases to be top three picks. I think I'm, I'm higher on, on Johnny Davis than most, and yeah. I, I believe he's going to be productive in the NBA uh, in, in short time too. So let's just kind of dive into that. Why are you as high as you are on Johnny Davis at this point? So for, for me and for my money anyway – He's Mr. Everything on a 17-3 and three team. He leads his team in points, in rebounds, in assists, in steals, and he carries this offensive load every single night. He's averaging 21 points and 8 rebounds a game. He's shooting 44% of the field, 35 from 3. Not eye-popping numbers, but he scores all over the floor. He posts. He takes it off the dribble. He knows how to use his body to create space without really playing bully ball. He's not just a bulldozer running over guys. He can hit, readjust, get his balance, then, then get a shot off. He can pull up out of pick and roll. He can shoot from three. He works on the boards. And he has this killer instinct and killer mentality even when he hasn't shot the ball well. At the end of the game, he wants to make a big play. He doesn't shy away from the limelight. That Minnesota game last week, the shot wasn't really falling. That's that's fine. So he readjusted. He had 15 rebounds, and he did his damage in the paint. And, and by the way, the last three possessions of the game – he either got to the foul line or scored each of those. So he's still not shying away from being the guy that, oh, I have three field goals. What am I going to do? Go get some rebounds, get the free throw line, great. And then the, the other part is, how good is he going to be when he has a true point guard that's averaging five assists per game, whose job is 
specifically to, to make his job easier. The, the numbers and the percentages are going to improve as the usage goes down when he's not the focal point of every scouting report. When he's the second or third option with other guys next to him who are pro scoring threats every single play, I, I, I still think he's going to improve even more than what we've seen right now. So I'm glad that you brought up the idea of his versatility as a scorer because I think that that's the number one thing that stands out to me. Like I feel pretty good about him being able to get his shot on all three lever- levels out of a variety yeah. of situations, right? Um, yeah. You mentioned the idea of posting. I don't know how much like a six foot four guard is going to post at the NBA level, but it's in his bag. Like if he ends up exactly. getting He's a mismatch it. on a six foot one guard, right, and can shoot over yeah. the top, um, he drives well to the rim and plays through contact well. He plays on balance really well, I think, as well. Uh, th- that's kind of like his. It's not his superpower necessarily, but like it's his underrated skill. I think his ability to constantly play on balance and constantly be a threat whenever he has the ball from any singular spot on the court. Like, at any point where he is dribbling, you have to be cognizant and careful that you're not about to just get stopped on a dime and pulled up on because his just body is constantly in just shape in terms of being able to stop, pull up, shoot. Right from the mid-range level, from the three-point line, uh, I've seen some people question the three-point shooting. Right, he's shooting thirty-six percent from three this year. I think the mechanics look pretty good, to be honest. Like I, I think that there's nothing broken with the shot. I, I think it's going to be fine. He takes a bunch of shots off of pull-ups. I can pull up those numbers while you're talking next. Um, it, he's a very effective player. Like that, th- there isn't really a hole for me in his scoring game uh on the offensive end now like do i think he could be a better distributor and passer yeah probably um it's not his role like it's not what wisconsin asks him to do all that often uh and i generally do think that over the course of like from the non-conference season to the big 10 season he's gotten a decent amount better at it like he's gotten like he's had games with five assists, four assists, like um, the Iowa game, if I remember correctly, uh, looking through the box score here where he had like 26, nine and five. Like I thought yep. that was a really impressive passing game from him, even though he was counted upon to be a scoring threat. So I, I really like the complete nature of Johnny Davis's offensive game. The, the question that I would toss back to you is, at the college level, I feel like his ability to stop at any point and get a pull-up jumper is just an incredible weapon. In the NBA, do you worry at all about him getting separation from bigger wing defenders and thus like seeing those efficiency numbers kind of drop a little bit as he matriculates through his career because he's not like some crazy athlete he's not like a crazy ball handler he's a good ball Mm -hmm. handler he's not like an insane one though uh i think that that's where people struggle in their eye when they watch johnny davis is like there's no like he's not an elite athlete like Jaden ivy for instance he doesn't handle the ball like i don't know fucking kyrie irving right (laughs) Um, let's do that yeah like nobody does but even so like he's in you know, probably an average to above average ball handler, not a great ball handler. So how do you feel about his ability to gain consistent separation 
from opposing NBA defenders. He'll be able to do it. Some of that plays into the offense that Wisconsin runs right now. You're right. He's not always going to post up and and score off these little, like, swing flex screens and and go one-on-one, but he has it. And and I I think part of that is, like, he doesn't always have to create separation and do these step-back jumpers unless the the shot clock is winding down. All this stuff, to me, just speaks to his incredibly high floor as a basketball player. There, there is not like a ton of pop, but it's very no frills. Like you know what you're getting. Yep. He's going to produce every single night. It may not be these like crazy wild highlights, but then you look at the box score and he has 25, 6, and 5. Or and I, didn't, I didn't think he played that well. He had 16 points and 15 rebounds. And, yep. and then the defense too, which we haven't even talked about, I think is another weapon because he, he's really good off the ball. He has really good instincts. He can play fast in transition. He can pull it out and play slow. He, he doesn't care if he's the one who's like the focal hub offensively. He has to be that right now. But yep. uh, on the on the circuit and in other places, he didn't necessarily have that role. He's just risen to the occasion. So uh, similar with, with Ivy, uh, these guys are, are really just like good pieces of wherever they land. I'm not worried about a situational fit for him because yep. of how he's able to adapt. And if you need me to be the guy that, that drives and kicks, I'll do that. You need me the guy that scores off the dribble, sure. You want to play really fast and have me run the wing wide and, and hit inside and then kick back out, I can do that too. It, it's all these like toolsy, do-it-all type things where it, it's just going to work for, wherever he's drafted. And I think that's why I have a harder time than most slotting him versus Jaden Ivy, I'd say Ivy has a higher ceiling for sure, yeah. but but Johnny Davis's floor is really high too. So I agree with you that his floor is really high. I think that like one thing I've generally struggled with with Johnny Davis is finding an analog for him, right? Like what player in the last decade that has been drafted in the top 10 mm-hmm. has been similar to Johnny Davis in some regard? <sighs> and I, I can't really think find the guy that's not to say that like it's a bad thing necessarily um it's just hard to find the player that like totally fits because like you know in 2012 terrence ross was different than he is right like Mm -hmm. brandon knight from kentucky was more of a point guard right um Mm -hmm. you know if, if we're going like elite level college producers jimmer fredette was Dude, not just that. Yeah. not that he, like he's just not yep. that right yeah. um cj mccollum like maybe maybe that's the analog is it, something like that but even cj is smaller so I, I i can't find i can't find the guy that he's like i guess like it's what definitely are, not the waiters for 44 ish and 35 i have a name he's not a, as freaky athletically and we saw way more in the nba mm-hmm. is there shades or parts of a college version of donovan mitchell yeah no i, I think that that i think like the two and, names, and look like Don, yeah. donovan's uh like nba dunk contest freak show two foot explosive athlete johnny davis never has that but right. like the pull-up stuff the the played within himself at louisville did more than people kind of thought once he got to the nba not the same, like you said, analog, archetype, et cetera, but sort of of that mold maybe. Yeah, the, the two as names. A col- as a college producer, don't go crazy. I, I'm saying like from college, comparatively speaking. The, the two names that I could think of that fit outside of C.J. McCollum, who I think is like a reasonable response given like more, the. Yeah, more, more of a score in college though, I'd say yeah, probably, right? Like, Even yeah, given higher like usage, the, I don't have the numbers, but given 
use that the eye or whatever. Yeah, like given like the multi-layered nature of his scoring game, right? The two names I was able to come up with were Bradley Beal was one of them. Just in terms of being able to shoot at a high level, but like wasn't just a three-point shooter in college. And, and if you go and, back and, and like, you watch like that. A, and I don't have the stats right here. You might have it pulled up. He, he was yeah. like a shooter that couldn't shoot in college. He shot like 35% from three or something yeah. like that. No, like it, had a reputation as a shooter out of yeah. high school. Went to Florida, did everything else well. The jumper wasn't there. And didn't really like turn on until he made it to the NBA. Yeah, like, but again, like it's not, it's not like he's – D'Angelo Russell, who was throwing these, like, crazy-ass passes. Yeah, pick and roll, live dribble, crazy whips, yeah. Yeah, like, Jamal Murray played as a two-guard at Kentucky next to Tyler Eulis, but, like, we all thought he was a point guard. Yeah, and, like, he could knock down threes and was, like, an elite-level shooter. So, I I guess I say all this to say that I think that's part of the struggle that people have with Johnny Davis, and and we can transition now into Jaden Ivey. People have no problem seeing what Jaden Ivey's going to be because he's like the natural ideal in many ways of what we would like to see in a lead guard prospect. He's an elite level athlete. He's an incredible transition player. He's shown live dribble passing ability. He's shown pull up shooting ability. Like uh, the vision is there with Jaden Ivey uh, in a way that like it, it isn't as readily apparent as it is with Johnny Davis, I guess. Yeah, and, and people want to say the John Morant thing. There, there's times I, I say like maybe that's a, a John Morant type move for Jane Ivy at, at six foot four. It's it's the energy level that stands out to me right away. And the Ohio State game, you could tell immediately that the energy level wasn't there to start. He's he's got a hip mm-hmm. thing. He came off the bench. He didn't look the same. He's going through the motions. Still had 21 points. Hit the game winner. Like the play yep. broke down. He came off a screen and hit the one footed kind of fadeaway to to get the win. It, it has to be extremely difficult and frustrating as a defender to try to keep him in front when he has that quick first step that kind of has that herky-jerky stop and start to his game, and then he kills you in transition as a ball handler or, or running yep. the lane wide, again, similar to Davis as a threat. Shoots 44% from three, mostly with his feet set, uh, improving, I'd say, as a movement shooter and pull-up shooter off the dribble. I'd argue that he hasn't truly gotten the reps as a, as a pull-up shooter this year either, I think it was under 40 before this last game. He's only had 50 pick-and-roll possessions this year comparatively to Johnny Davis, who's at 88. So when he's playing a more offense, and I, I talked about this with Jordan Sperber on his pod, when he's playing more of an offense that's like suited toward him and it's not run through seven foot four Zach Eady or six foot ten five man Travion Williams, who're both very good and, and produced yeah. awesome, but you're running through them. You're running through the middle. What's it going to look like when he has open court attacking wing angles as opposed to guys who are just standing on the block? Like, I don't even think we've seen the fully actualized Jaden Ivey and what he can be when all that stuff clicks, even just the geometry of the court clicking to his advantage. No, I I think that's 100% right. I pulled up the pull-up numbers for Jaden Ivey this year. It's a lot of pull-up three attempts, but he's shooting 29.3% on those attempts. Yep. which is not good enough at the end of the day. Uh, you look at the catch-and-shoot numbers, they're outstanding. He's shooting mm-hmm. 43.3% on catch-and-shoots, and almost all of those are threes. So you look up, he has like a 65 effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot 
three opportunities, and you can see him scaling pretty easily to playing next to another great ball handler. Uh, Be that like a big wing, like a Paul George or something like that, be it, you know, um, uh, Joel Embiid, who's like initiating from the high post, or Nikola Jokic, who's initiating from all over the court. Like, I I think that it's easier to imagine what that skill set looks like. Uh, You look at the rim numbers for him, they are pretty poor in the half court because there's just never any driving lane and there's right. never uh, any space where he's not getting Trevion Williams or Zach Eadie's center defender rotating over on him as he goes up to try to finish. Like he's only made 50.9% according to Synergy of his attempts at the rim in the half court this season. That's not an incredible number. And I would expect that to rise uh, over the course of his NBA career just as he gets into a different circumstance. The the thing that I like, right. though, about Jaden Ivey is that 27% of his possessions come in transition. And it's not like Christian Brown, who is kind of like my whipping boy for this this year, and I feel a little bit bad about it. But mm-hmm. a lot of Christian Brown's points come in transition when he's not really the one driving that transition play. He's just filling the lanes and finishing. Yep. You watch Purdue, Jaden Ivey is driving those transition opportunities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, whatever cliche you want to use, driving the bus, pushing the pace, pushing the tempo, it's always him yep. like taking off. Right. And he's legitimately creating transition opportunities that are higher efficiency for his team out of nothing, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like an exceptionally translatable skill to the NBA, where he's going to be able to grab and go on the glass. He's going to be able to... Um, catch an outlet pass, and he's going to zoom, and he's going to create easy opportunities for his teammates. There's some half-court stuff that I worry about, though. Like, you mentioned the idea that he doesn't take a ton of pick-and-roll opportunities. Yeah. He doesn't. Not, like, not presented with him, even, really. Right. Like, he, it's just not something he's asked to do all that mm-hmm. often within their offense. I think that that's probably going to result in some growing pains early, as he just, like, kind of works his way through the reads and has to figure out how to you know, go through his, you know, progressions in ball screens. Like reading that help defender, I think, is going to be a skill that he learns over three years in the NBA, not necessarily one. He's going to throw some spectacular passes in the meantime for those first couple years, and people are going to be like, oh, yeah, like this guy is who we thought he was. It's just flashes right now as opposed to, you know, full scale every moment we're, we're seeing it, um, and he's a star. But I think that once he gets acclimated to the NBA and gets uh, a bit of bit more reps under his belt uh, in the role that he will play in the NBA, mm-hmm. he'll be fine. Like the Purdue offense is just so drastically different than what he will be asked to do that in some respect, it's a bit difficult to really, you know, conceptualize uh, outside of the transition stuff what he'll look like in the half court. And even some of the fouls he's getting now with the offensive foul stuff, and he's getting better jump stops, you're not going to have Brad Davidson sliding up and, and getting charges as you drive. He might get blocked at the rim, sure, but he's not going to get as many of those guys stepping up, rotating outside the lane to take a charge. So I, I think that'll kind of improve yeah. his, his finishing numbers too. The pick-and-roll progressions and, and making the right reads, I mean, you argued – I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, that maybe he is a lead guard. So that's going to have to come, and, and that's going to yeah. have to be part of his development and maybe a little bit of a hang-up for a while. Are you uh, like, worried? I'll say this. like if, he is, if he's not a lead guard, I'm much less interested in him uh, hmm. as a player. 
I think he is a lead guard. I think he's shown enough flashes in terms of passing and ball handling and obviously has the elite level athleticism to do it. Uh, but I think that like that's where the Johnny Davis case comes in for me is like if you think Jaden Ivey is not a lead guard, there is a case for Johnny Davis being a more interesting prospect because of his you know ability in the half court to create shots from a ton of different angles and uh, you know just opportunities. And, and defensively too, Jaden Ivey on the ball is, is a very good defender. Not great off the ball Ooh. right now. He, he's he's yeah. Oh, what we were hitting See, like, a, a disagreement I, point, or you think he's not good on the ball? I think that he's good. Are you selling when yourself he, on Johnny Davis? That, that's where I think like we're we're leading I'm down not, this path. <laughs> I'm not because I think that Jaden is a point guard. Having said that, it's, Wait, it's hard on. to so you think evaluate. He's a, point, he's a he's a point guard, but can't read pick and rolls, and we don't know how often he's going to have the ball. I think right. that it's going to take him some time to all get right. through pick and roll progressions, but has all the skills to be great at it. Like, yeah, has no all of the tools that you need in order to be great at it. Like, he has tools that Johnny Davis doesn't have, just at no the question. end of the day. And that's not a slight at Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis makes up for it with skill and with balance and with some of the things that Jaden Ivey doesn't have yet. But I think it's easier to learn what Johnny Davis has than to be born with what Jaden Ivey has at the end of the day. Um, defensively with Jaden... It's so hard because, like, that that team's pick-and-roll defense is just so – like, it's it puts so much pressure on the guards because of how deep of a drop they have to play oh, yeah. with yeah. Edie and Trevion Williams. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's almost like it's going to be nothing – it's going to be almost nothing like what he will be asked to do in the NBA. It's going to be somewhat similar. Like, he'll play in a drop scheme. He'll have the, you know – time or whatever like he'll have the reps that he's gone through at Purdue that will probably help him but like he's not going to be asked to cover for Zach Edie and Trevion Williams in the NBA like there's just so few no, lumbering you, bigs like that right but we talked about if he played I don't think he will because I don't think the pick is gonna be this high but you play with a guy like Joel Embiid who has to drop back who's a bigger center you know, yeah. those guys are dropping back you have to figure out and and that's there's a clip circulating this week of jabari smith on the ball and like just slithering around a, a ball screen like you're, you're not hitting with this Jaden ivy can get hit and, and crack and then it's like all right it's kind of two on one like he's out of it he's got to find a right. way to to fight through that and then off the ball too it, he, he gets in a stance on the ball he's ready to make a play it reverses stands right up he's looking around he's active but then when they actually come back he's getting down back in his stance he's getting cracked by another screen it's like if he just stayed in that a little bit longer he'd set yep. him up better positionally to to not be hampered or hit with a an off screen and then trying to fight around it it's a double into a ball screen and that's where it hangs up he's going to work at it that, that's a part of his game that he needs to to yep. really fix but at, we we're talking about are these guys good enough we just spent 20 minutes talking about how good they are and that's why i think they're both really good options in the top five like i, I don't have a problem with these guys like a lot of other people do i think they're both really good options in the top 10 is, mm. I think is what i would say you know what um, but i've said i, I say this uh, it seemingly we've done this three years now if they're not in the top five who is like it, it's not no like, i know they, they, they yeah. almost like ha they almost have to be and and i'd be o okay with either and currently a, a slight edge and not to go hipster slight edge to johnny davis for me it, it it's very fluid i'm not saying to write it in in a sharpie and, and put it on the big board yet but it, there's still a lot of basketball to be played I, I just i think there's more of a chance that that johnny 
makes it based on everything that he does rather than saying, well, Jay Nyman has to figure out the off-ball defense. You really have to figure yeah. out pick-and-roll progression. Johnny Davis, it's like, does he create enough separation to get off a shot that already looks good, that's already good off the bounce? That, that's the difference yeah. for me. Yeah, I would go Jaden because yep. I think that the ceiling is just much higher. Like the it is. skills, it is. and I kind of said yep. this earlier, but the skills that Jaden has uh, are skills that Johnny Day or like are talents and tools and gifts that Johnny Davis just won't have, right? Uh, just athletically and in terms of burst and twitch and all that stuff. It's it's not a guarantee though. Like Jaden mm-hmm. needs to take time. He needs to hone in on the skill set. Needs to hone in on slowing down, jump stopping at times, uh, running through ball screen progressions. Like it's just going to take some time. But the tools are so special. I think with Jaden, like they, they just are. I, I do want to play a game here before we go to our commercial break. Oh boy. Uh, okay. Okay. So the guards that were taken from 2019 to 2015. Let's say. Uh, would you take? Okay. Oh, Johnny Davis slash Jaden oh, Ivey. Or... Before you even say the answer uh, of the college guy, am I talking just what they did in college, not just what I know what about they what they did in college, in okay. prep school, okay. prep, whatever, right, yep. um, as okay. prospects? Okay. Uh, Johnny Davis, Jaden Ivey, or Darius Garland? Uh, I would take Jaden Ivey and uh, Johnny Davis. Darius Garland was hurt. It was kind of like, yep. is he or isn't he? So I'd take those guys. Yeah, and Darius uh, Garland's th- been good in the NBA. If I if I cheated and said I know he's a borderline All Star type guy every year, then the answer is Garland. But at the time, I'd take Davis and Ivy. Yeah, uh, for what it's worth, I think I would too on that one. Um, Trey Young went fifth overall in 2018. I would imagine you would have taken Trey Young. Yeah, um, the answer is yes, but I I do my my homework and due diligence because. I thought he was too small to play the game that he yeah. has. Again, another all-star averaging crazy numbers, but I'm, I'm not trying to be revisionist here. Uh, I would have taken both of those guys over Colin Sexton. I'll say yep. that, but I would today, not have taken Today, then over. and now, yes. <laughs> uh, De'Aaron Fox or Jaden Ivey slash Johnny Davis? Swipe, I'd, I'd probably at the time say De'Aaron Fox. Okay. I think that I would rank them De- but, or Ivy Fox Davis. Like, I think that they're all in the same tier, basically. Yeah. I, so, yeah. Chris Dunn or Johnny no, Davis? That's heartstrings. That's New I England. <sighs> I would, no, I, I wouldn't take those guys. Though I was hollering for the Celtics to to take a guard, to take Jamal Murray, Buddy Heald, or Chris Dunn. Uh, I think Jaden Ivey and Johnny Davis were, were more kind of Celtics-y type picks. Uh, D'Angelo Russell or these guys? These guys. I know he's great at Ohio State. I just he was never really quite my my cup of tea as a as a college player. Yeah, I probably would have taken D'Angelo. So I'll, I'll oh, be you honest. Can't, like, how, wait, we talk, that's that's how, like, you, your alma mater returns back on you. You yeah. can't you can't take the other guys. As I wear a Pitt hoodie today, no, let's okay. go, <laughs> let's go. I felt bad <laughs> after last week clowning Pitt, so I had to I had to wrap today. Uh, makes sense. Um, you know what though? Like after kind of going running through this exercise and kind of breaking it down a little bit i feel a little bit more comfortable taking Jaden like ivy and johnny davis in the top five I'm, okay. I'm your i'm your hype man before you go out on stage i just have to like put it in your head like you're gonna crush it out there just do it just talk through the prospects we'll get there we'll go through the our brain. own personal progressions i know you're boosted you're a little cloudy let's get some clarity here yeah i'm, I'm struggling today okay let's take a quick commercial break we'll be back with uh our next segment here
Okay. We're back. Uh, the race for number one. This is a new segment race. we're going to be running out every week. Uh, where do you want to start with this? Do you want to go with Jabari Smith? Because they play Alabama I do. tonight. Yeah, we'll start and with I think Smith. that that's, a, uh, that's an interesting place to go. So uh, Alabama at Auburn tonight. Uh, it's a fascinating matchup for a number of reasons because Alabama will allow Auburn to push the tempo in a pretty substantial way. I would imagine this will be one of the most fun prospect games that we will watch the entire season. Uh, I have some worries about who in the hell from Alabama is going to guard Jabari Smith. Uh, that's what, probably Jawan Gary, maybe? Uh, maybe that's what they it's do. A, yeah, it, it, I think Darius Miles is out, right? Like He might be like just a little bit more of a stretch defender. I think he's out for tonight. I mean, do, do they just run out Keon Ellis and then play? Yeah, could like do that. Could do that. J, JD Davison and the two other guards, Quinterly and Shackelford. Like, yeah, that might be. I'll, I'll say the this answer, though, but that's that's their answer to guarding him. Keon, th- that'd be a really interesting matchup because I think it would showcase a number of things that NBA teams would like to see, such as how does Jabari Smith take advantage of having a smaller NBA level defender on him can he just shoot over the top like what what does that look like because Keon Ellis will uh, fight and battle and scratch and claw against him he will it's an interesting matchup and for Jabari Smith it it seems as if there's a growing consensus that he's the number one pick and I I get it I mean what's not to love and he actually he had a bad game against Missouri he was two for 15 from the field he had 10 rebounds but he's on the floor late and, and he made winning plays on defense so he shakes that off and responds the very next game with 23 points and 12 rebounds against Oklahoma. And the part that stands out is that he was a little bit more assertive than just shooting threes. One of the knocks is he's just yep. too perimeter-based, just stands out there and doesn't chuck, but he's just more comfortable doing that. He got to the free throw line 10 times that game. Mostly was late in, in free throws and have to foul to get guys on the line. But in his head, it's I, I got to get going toward the rim a little bit more open up uh, more of these one-dribble pull-ups. So you, you said that he can shoot over the top fairly easily. I want him to mix it up a little bit more on the post. I want him to tighten up his handle a little bit. Uh, I don't want the pull-ups to always be these one-footed fadeaways, just kind of go straight up and down at times. Uh, but I, and I don't also want to do this small sample size thing and say he's 7 for 27 his last whatever, a few games from three. He's adjusted, I think, around the freshman wall, and, and I just remain all in on him as a prospect. The the rest uh, I'm intrigued by in terms of the translation to the next level as a 6'10", stretch, trailing, shooting big with these high-level defensive tools that he, when he has these games, when he when all this stuff clicks at, at the right time, he looks like a, a surefire number one pick. And even when he's bad, when he goes two for 15, you can still see why everyone speaks so highly of him as a prospect. This is another situation as well defensively where we're going to get to see some really fun tape, I think, because uh, Alabama will just put him in ball screens because they will have to. They, they'll prefer to put Walker Kessler in ball screens, but there will be situations where we see Jaden or uh, Jabari Smith, I'm sorry, uh, have to fight through these different actions that Alabama will put him through uh, that look a lot like the same actions that NBA teams will put him through. So I'm excited to see that. Um, I'm excited to see how Alabama deals with Walker Kessler to some extent. Um, This is the kind of game that should cause problems for Walker Kessler. Uh, 
if it doesn't, I think that this is the kind of game that can propel him into being a first round pick. Uh, if he can manage uh, in space against guys like Javon Quinterly and J.D. Davison and Jaden Shackelford and hold his own, uh, this in many ways is more important game tape for Walker Kessler than it is for Jabari Smith, I think. It is, and, and we kind of rode the, the Walker Kessler wave at the right time, and, and, and he's clicking too, and it shows that they're both able to play off of each other, which is a, a benefit for each one of them and kind of like their NBA long-term potential. With with Jabari, what are kind of like, I don't want to say red flags, but what are kind of like your hang-ups right now that like, yeah, I got him number one, but if he did this, it would be a runaway. Is it the lack of the stuff going to the rim? Is it the lack of kind of finishing in the post? Is it uh, that he just kind of falls in love at times with, like when he jab steps, it's almost like you know he's going to pull up. It's hard to block, but he, but he's shooting, right? There's not like a, a real counter to that yet. What What kind of slows you down for saying this is a runaway number one pick? Yeah, it's ball handling polish, I would say. Uh, Being able to separate, because he's not like some crazy athlete in terms of twitch. He's very coordinated. He's very balanced all the time, despite being 6'10", 220 pounds. But he doesn't have that like, okay, I'm going right, I'm stopping on a dime, and then I'm blasting like, you know, right. Right. Um, So to make up for that, he's going to need to have like real craft and handle off the bounce. And that's, I, I think that's a reasonable holdup right now. Uh, not, not enough to move him from the number one spot on my board, but enough to where uh, it's a hang up for sure. But defensively, I'm a big fan uh, shooting. I'm a big fan. Uh, love the grab and go transition stuff. I think that there's yeah. just like a little bit of polish that will come. He's 18 years old. Like he's the youngest of these guys we're going to talk about here. Yeah, I, I love him. I'm just kind of nitpicking here and seeing what else is out there. It, it, he, he's just a little bit different than, than some of the other bigs we've had yeah. the last few years. And people have asked me, like, who's the comp? And I, I'm the worst going on, on who the comp is with him. Uh, but he, he does so many of these other little things well. And when, when the shot's falling and he's he's defending and either grabbing off the rim and, and going and pushing or he's the, the first guy rim running, it's advanced to him. Uh, just going to be a, a, a special player with, with added size too. He's already put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle. It puts on a little bit more in his base. You'd see a lot of his post catches. He's still kind of upright a little. It can be yeah. pushed and, and fall over and then like regain. Once that base is strong enough to hold that initial bump, that's going to probably give him another couple points per game too. Okay. And Penny is back. Uh, <laughs> Never left. Nonetheless, let's move on to Paulo Bancaro because I think oh, that's Paolo. the place to start. Uh, sure. Paulo Bancaro uh, against Notre Dame in a fun prospect matchup against Blake Wesley, theoretically, that uh, did not pan out that way in actuality <laughs> because this game uh, was like oh, watching uh, just a clogged toilet continue to spin and spin and spin and spin. <laughs> Uh, Notre Dame scored 43 points in 66 possessions, according to Ken Palm. Uh, Blake Wesley shot 3 of 15 from the field. And the good news is that Paulo Bancaro had 21 points and 9 rebounds. The bad news is that he shot uh, 10 of 22 from the field and had 5 turnovers. A lot of good, a lot of bad from Bancaro. I think that we saw uh, some of the shot creation ability, some of the very, very impressive mismatch stuff that 
he has the ability to do, whereas Jabari Smith, we worry about the handle a little bit. Uh, Paulo, we don't really worry about the handle for someone who's six foot ten. It's really polished and creative. Uh, he is much more capable of getting a clean look off of his own isolation than Jabari Smith is at this point. I uh, This game, in general, did not really do anything to assuage my concerns that the style of play that Paulo Bancaro typically uh, like employs, I guess, does kind of border on being problematic in terms of efficiency in the way that you project it to the next level. Yeah, I agree with that. At, at his size and strength, too, at, at 6'10", 250 pounds, he moves offensively at times like a wing when yep. he, he self-grades. And he has exceptional blend of balance and timing when setting up his man, spinning back or faking, and then pulling up from 12 feet. Here's the problem areas. First, in that Louisville game, which was last week, I think Saturday, he yeah. was 5 for 15, and he really struggled with the length of Malik Williams when he was guarding him. Now, when yeah. Matt Cross was switched on to him, who was a little bit smaller, we saw the Apollo that's being considered as the first pick in the draft. Just just feasted off him, yeah. and, and that's where he really got going. Versus Notre Dame, he started slow, and, and then he turned it on the second half to finish with 21-9, and nine, as you alluded to. But, and I talked to a couple NBA people about this today, he was overthinking on every catch beyond the three-point line. Notre Dame and Nate Leshevsky at the time was giving him all this space, daring him to shoot. He wouldn't. He took one of them, and he went one for five. But by, like, the third time he passed it up and ended up hitting a wing as a turnover, the camera panned to the Duke bench to Coach K, and even he's like, Pow, shoot the ball. Like, shoot it. Right. Like, like, what are you waiting for? And then the post-game interview – Paul admitted, like, I was overthinking it. I, I got to cut loose a little bit more. The the locker room saying shoot it. I got to get out of my head. I, I have no hesitation saying that he's going to be a solid NBA player. And I, I go far to saying that he could average 15, 16 points per game as a rookie. But the shot from three, it has to come around for me to place yeah. him kind of in the first tier of this draft with Paulo and Chet. And, and really to be a, a long-term, high-level difference maker once he gets to the league. I'm not saying he can't be productive. I'm not saying he can't score. But if the scout is like, give this guy a ton of room because once he puts it on the floor, he can really slice and dice you, I'm just going to give him space similar to Notre Dame did and not let yeah. him get to his spots in the post. And, and then you're, you're kind of like taking him out of what gets him going because then once he scores a few of those, it opens everything up and the confidence rises and then I'll, I'll take a three. But it can't be like all the space and you take a three, you're kind of hopping, hoping it goes in, it's flat, it's short. That, that has to come around. And I, I think it will. For what it's worth, which is why I do have him like in that tier, in that same mm-hmm. tier with Chet and with Jabari, I will say. So Notre Dame game, 21 points on 22 shots with five turnovers. Uh, Louisville game, 11 points on 15 shots with one turnover. Uh, Clemson, 19 points on 15 shots with four turnovers. Uh, Syracuse, 15 points on 11 shots plus two Four free throw attempts, so two free throw shooting possessions, uh, two turnovers. Uh, Florida State, that was his best game that I think he's played all year. They lost that game, which is fine, but I I loved what he did against Florida State. He had 20 points on 11 shots. He got to the foul line a ton. He had 12 rebounds. He had seven assists. He had four turnovers. He was outstanding in that game, I thought. Um, But then you go NC State, another game where he was really good. 21 points on 11 shots, you know, four free throw shooting possessions, 
four turnovers again. Uh, it's it, the game against Wake Forest where he was really, really good. 24 points on 23 shots. Uh, you kind of continue to get this picture of a guy that right. because he lives in the mid-range and lives in the mid-post, it's hard for him to be as efficient as some of these other guys. And it's because he's taking more higher degree of difficulty shots. But he also doesn't make the easy ones right now either, which is the problem. And he doesn't like to take the easy ones, which is kind of what Matt's saying. So I think that's the thing I'm looking for most with Paulo right now. I would like to see him uh, almost get better at the easy stuff. Like the hard stuff, he's really fucking good at. Like yeah. it's just getting better at the easy stuff. And you might think that that's like easy, right? Like that that's the simple way to fix things. But like for some guys, it's not. No. It, that Clemson game, they went to him late, and he scored under the basket and gave him the, the go-ahead. They ended up winning that that contest. And when the the star is on him and, hey, we need to get a bucket, it's usually there. It's usually 15 feet and in. It's usually, hey, now get in the post and, and use that size and extend yeah. and go over. And when he has the confidence level, and like when he had that weak side block against Louisville, where it's like kind of Mark Williams and Apollo like blocked it at the rim and – it went sky high and he flew off the floor. He just has to do that more. And he's not taking the simplest shots. And that's why Chet Holmgren and some of these other guys are shooting 65% from the field because all it is is a dunk show or, or it's right there. Your, your percentage just naturally is going to go down from the mid-range who take all of them. He hits them and that's kind of like a misconception, like the mid-range shot's dead. It's not dead if you're knocking them down. That, that's not how the game has kind of like swayed. You, you well, want- and, it's, and it's not dead for the best players in the league. Like that's the best players point. in the league, yeah. that's often the shot that is yeah. available. So, so it can. Yeah, Seth Parner wrote a book about it. Like yeah. th- that can still be what what he does, but it has to blend in with the rest of his game too. As I mean, if he's not like, do you see him as a small ball five? Is he a four? Like, where does he fit in the modern NBA for you? Both, kind of. Like, I think that he'll do it based on which matchup is presented to him by his opposing team. Um, like I, I would like to start him at the four and have him be able to take advantage of that mismatch. Like we kind of talked about like Louisville versus like Matt cross as opposed to Malik Williams. Right. Exactly. Um, yep. But to get the most out of him, you have to pair him in a very specific situation, like next to a miles Turner next to a Chris stops, like guys who can really protect the rim and shoot from three so that he can have that space in the mid range to be able to attack. Uh, fewer of those guys than what you would think around the league yeah absolutely okay now let's go to chet holmgren which like honestly i don't know how much time i want to spend on chet because half the tape right now is just not very applicable to like nba evaluation unfortunately mm, yeah uh, there's, there's good against, stuff there's, there's a few good stuff against portland he had 12 points 11 rebounds and two assists he did not take a two-point shot the entire game uh, <laughs> Making threes, Don't have to. Two. Yeah. yeah, he went four or six from three. That, that's the thing that I think stands out most for me. I had some Absolutely. concerns early on this season yep. that he was not shooting well. And frankly, I, I still want to see how he shoots in the NCAA tournament when things are sped up for him, right? That, uh, yeah. Because you, you look at his shooting against tier A and B teams, so the good teams that Gonzaga has played this season, 35% from three as opposed to the 45 that he's shooting right now. So... I do want to see more of what he looks like in terms of when guys are rushing at him at high levels of athleticism. But, I mean, fuck, the guy's shooting 46% from three right now. 
Like, yeah, it's good. It, it's funny <laughs> how a, a few made threes can turn the sample size on its head. And most right. of the country that hasn't followed Chet throughout his kind of grassroots high school career is seeing what I like to refer as the real Chet. He hits threes. He, he can yeah. pull up on the break. He counters and, and rips throughs and can get all the way to the rim. Last three games, he's 9 for 13 from three. He's averaging double-digit yeah. rebounds and two-and-a-half blocks. This is also – this, the San Francisco game was insane. Like, he, he yeah, was and, just – he absolutely obliterated San Francisco. And, and, and at the same time, this is also sort of the buyer beware, evaluator beware stage because since the new year, Gonzaga has beaten their last six opponents by an average of 29 points, and that's the good and the bad of the WCC. Even that San Francisco game, which you mentioned, San Francisco's good. They're 17-5 yeah. now. They beat them by 16. So I, I like that, that Chet's kind of bringing the whole thing back, showing – everything that he has in his offensive tool set or bag or whatever you say. And this is no, by no means a, a shot at him. It's more of a commentary that we have to think about this lens and the level of competition we're viewing him from and with and against day in and day out. And we're really, from now until the tournament in March, there's not a lot of like blip-ups here where this looks like what an NBA roster and what NBA personnel would be regarding him. There can be a few good individual matchups but this is yeah this is the buzzsaw part of the schedule where Gonzaga gets rolling everyone gets really excited and then when the competition kind of levels back out where is he gonna like push out of this thing yeah like BYU is a really good offensive basketball team BYU doesn't have anyone over six foot eight right right uh San Francisco is a really really good basketball team they have Jan Masalski and Patrick Tappe but neither of those guys are NBA players right no like they, they can't really bother chet that much uh st mary's is another team like this like they have actual like big dudes with some size like matthias tass he's their only guy that's over six foot seven so like you know are are you gonna have matthias tass guard drew timmy who's gonna try and like dominate you on the block or are you gonna have him guard chet holmgren who's gonna be out on the perimeter you're probably gonna have him guard timmy and that's gonna lead to some crazy mismatch with chet right like these teams in wcc while they're really good this year like there are five teams in the top 75 this year it's the first time that i can remember anything like that in the wcc but they're just not as deep in in terms of the size and the front court so uh yeah the, the race for number one is interesting uh for a number of reasons and i think that it's worth continuing to track and continuing to talk about these guys even though uh you know, they're, they've been talked about to death, but sometimes, you know, this is how you kind of go about learning more. You just continue to have the conversation, right? So what's your tracker on the race for number one here? One, two, three. What's what's our, our mood here? I, I would say Jabari. Right? Yeah, Jabari, Chet, and Paulo. Uh, one, yeah. two, three. What about you? Of those three, that's where I am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, you wanted to talk about freshmen. Uh, I do. That gives us an opportunity to dive into Penny's Primo Prospect of the Week. I'm I'm so spoiled. I get two prospects of the week here, and this is specific to the Penny Primo Prospect of the Week. We've gone through this exercise here now a few times, and for freshmen, there's guys that are are turning on and figuring it out. Mine is going to be Peyton Watson from UCLA. So here's the deal with, with Peyton Watson. I get it. He didn't score a field goal in a month, a month and a half. He hasn't lived up to the initial lofty expectations. Despite our best effort to say it would be hard for him to crack the rotation with an entire Final Four roster coming back and Miles Johnson, a a great defender, transfer from Rutgers. 
But this is where we are. The, the numbers are not always great, but the film is. I, I would argue that if you've watched the games. He's playing super hard on defense. He moves laterally really, really well. And then he bodies up on drives. He blocks shots on and off the ball uh, in transition, in the half court. And then offensively, he's setting screens and relocating, quickly getting to his move on the catch. He set a, a high ball screen for a, a pick and pop last week. Uh, he's hitting, knocking down open threes. He's shooting with more confidence with his feet set. There is a possession versus Arizona where he guards the ball handler and turns him full court like five times. The the ball reverses. He denies, gets a deflection, takes a full court, steal, dunk. Just just sort of ridiculous. It's like this is what you look for for a 6'8", two-way wing. If he keeps putting this run together, now he's scoring a little bit more too and, and playing more minutes. He's, he's sort of cracked the rotation, which is a, a nice boost for UCLA too. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's a top 20 pick. I mean, there's there's value in going back to school. And we've seen it with guys we talked about today and, and Jaden Ivey and Johnny Davis and Keegan Murray and Ben Matherin. That said, it, it could be a toss-up at this point where he, he ends up. There's a ton of potential. If he adds strength, the potential is only going to grow. I did a quick little tweet video uh, last week. UCLA fans went nuts. They said he's gone. It was three clips. It was like 34 seconds. If we're judging on that, maybe he's gone. He needs more reps. Let's slow down the bus a little bit. But I love him as a prospect. I'm, I'm all in on him long term. Going to take a little bit more time. If he goes, be hard for me to say no if I'm at the 20s or 25. I think I agree. Um, okay. I had him like at 45 on the big mm-hmm. board that I put out. Uh, I think I was wrong to do that. Um, here's the thing. We're real excited about Peyton Watson. Oh, yeah. How many points do you think he has in the last seven games? Oh, seven games? Well, if you're doing seven, you're pulling the last five. So No, 20... I'm sorry. So six in the last six okay. games. 13. I'll say 41. He has 28 in the last okay. six games. So he's Price is right. Should have went lower. We're, we're real excited That's, about Peyton but, Watson, hold, and we should be. Hold like, on, hold we on. We should though. be. But if, you look, but if you look and watch, he was doing nothing. He legit, he, uh, against Bellarmine, he was great. That was like in November. He did nothing. It's not like I forgot about him, but it was the kids going back to school. He's not there. I almost found it by accident because I was making my daily calls. I had the Arizona game on, UCLA-Arizona in the background, because the game was at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, spoiler yep. alert, I am not up at 11 o'clock at night. I am old. i got to watch those games the next day. So I'm watching it, and this guy is like this long defender makes a play. I'm like, huh, is that Peyton Watson? I, th- I think it is. So I'm on the phone. Yep. I'm like, yeah, yeah i call you back. And there was like three plays in a row. I'm like, oh, this is this might be a thing. This like might yeah. actually be a thing. And then He's it was like that for two or defense. three games in a row, especially yep. defensively guarding point guards, twos, threes, blocking fours at the rim. And then he, like, scores a bucket or two. Even the misses, like, he had a miss off a pull-up. I said, ooh, that looked kind of clean, like, going to his left and pulling up. There's stuff there. It's going to be G League time. I'm not saying draft him and all of a sudden he's the sixth man and, man, everybody missed on him. It's going to take development, but it's going to get there. I I do strongly feel like it's going to get there. I think it's going to get there, too. What I struggle with is – I mean, how many wings have averaged under five points per game and gone in the first round? Like, we're excited about, like, the Peyton Watson resurgence here that's happened, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. We're yes. talking about the good games that he's played, not the, like, stretch where he went, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, didn't scoreless score. for a month. Yep. Correct. 
and he's still averaging under five points. Like, I, I think that that's where when you watch the tape, it is different. I completely agree with you. He looks really different awesome. from how he looked in the in the early season. He looks much more confident. He looks like he understands a role now. He looks like he understands what Mick Cronin wants him to do. I, I, he's averaging under five points. Like Josh Primo averaged stretch. eight. I'm looking it up now. Eight points, 3.4 rebounds. And I get it. He's yeah. in the G League. He looks great. He does. Josh Primo shot 43% for the field, 38 from three. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're, we're arguing about the draft. We're arguing where does the I, kind of bottom fall off. And, and, and that's why I thought we should talk some freshmen today because there's about four or five others that you get to 20 and say, maybe. So here, here would be my question: Like, are you more excited about Peyton Watson or Max Christie with Peyton what Watson. Christie has shown over the last little while? Uh, j- j- just because Peyton's size in the defense, and, and I think the the versatility defensively that he brings, and paired with the offense, I think Max has been great. But I, I would take Peyton Watson over him right now. I am more excited about Max because nice. Let's do it. Max has, you know, we talk about Peyton Watson's defense, and Peyton's a better defender; like he's stronger. Mm-hmm. But like Michigan State has Max Christie guard the toughest guy on the opposing wing. Like he sure does. Nights. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like he's taking the really really tough assignments every night, and he's doing a pretty good job, I think. Kind of um, has to though, too, right? Next to Tyson Walker, like Tyson Walker's not going to guard up the lineup. Like he has to guard no, the. You could use Gabe Brown, like yeah, pretty could. easily, and then like slide around guys. Like there there are other things you could do to make it work, but he's doing it and he's doing it well. I think like he's defending at a pretty reasonably high clip. Um, at 16 points against Michigan on five of eight shooting, three of three from the line. Mm-hmm. He had, you know, 12 points against Wisconsin. He had 16 against Minnesota. He had 21 against Nebraska. Like, he's had some really positive games uh, but let offensively. Me, but but and, let me spit it back on you. His his last five games from the field. Yeah. Five for eight, one for yep. eight, five for yep. seven, one for eight, seven for yep. 12. If the consistency comes around, we get more of those five of eight games with the very pretty shooting mechanics, which he gets to fairly easily, fairly comfortably, regardless of what the kind of like screening and, and shooting action is. I get it. I mean, he had a three and was fouled in, in that Michigan game and didn't seem to phase him. I mean, and then he can drive, he can spin and get to his move. It has a, a little bit of fadeaways, can stop on a dime for pull-ups. He talked about how he guards the other team's best wing or guard. And then you saw some of the dog at him late. I mean, he was blocked That's the rim the by, by Musa Diabate. They came down, they're jabbering. He's like, hey, man, scoreboard, you're not 15. Shut up. You're not 15. Like, get over it. I didn't know Max really had that. I don't know if that's the, the Lansing, Michigan, Tom Izzo school of, of hard knocks. Just like Peyton Watson needs some strength, I, I prefer he gets more reps in the Big Ten, gets a little bit bigger, stronger. But, uh, yeah, like him in the future. He turns – 19 in February, so 19 in like a few weeks. So he's just starting to figure out, as, as he should be. Yeah, no, I, I am very excited to see what the end of season Max Christie looks like. Uh, yeah. They're starting to involve him more in the offense. Like early in the season, I complained endlessly about the fact that like they used him a lot in the preseason, like on the ball, and then off the like he just like stand in the corner in the early yeah. part of the season and like not do anything starting to use him a little bit more which is exciting he's still only taking like eight shots a game which yep. i think is fucking crazy given that <laughs> like you're talking about like tyson walker and aj hoggard right like I, I, aj hoggard has been really good as a distributor and passer like he's had a few really really good games but like 
I think that there's even more there with Max in terms of like handling the ball and being able to create his own shot. So like, I wonder if we start to see that late in the season as the year goes on and they start to, we start to get into like the Izzo March run and Mm. he starts letting it loose a little bit with Max. I wonder, I'll be honest. I'd take Max Christie in the top 20 still. This is the preseason guy. It, it's starting to be the preseason Peyton Watson. This is kind of the preseason Max Christie. We thought that yep. he, he might figure it out there, and sometimes it takes a little bit slower at Michigan State, but he has now, whatever he is, 20 games into the season. Yeah. Um, you also want to talk about Jeremy Sohan, and so did I. Uh, yes. I think that this is a great person to talk about mm. because I don't know about you, but I've been kind of reaching out to NBA scouts, and – Asking a simple question. Who is Baylor's best prospect? Is it Kendall Brown or is it Jeremy Sohan? Mm-hmm. Yes. And what is the response you've gotten, Ben? Um, re- respectfully, I, I, it's Jeremy Sohan across the board. Uh, it's not across the board for me. I would say it's more like, you know, 60-40. In, in oh, I thought it, I, I thought it'd be even higher than that. Well, no, it's... But a lot of... So I, well, I think that, what, like... It's, it's, it's also yeah. sort of when did you have the conversation? Because... No, the I, last... I reached out after the, after the Saturday game. Where so okay, because like, his yeah. last statistically his last two games were the first time he played over thirty minutes a clip. Alabama yep. thirty two minutes, seventeen points on six to nine shooting, eight rebounds, two steals. West Virginia last night thirty one minutes, thirteen points on five of eight shooting, nine rebounds, three assists, two steals. You see it with the big strong frame, has yep. some touch in the lane, can isolation score from the perimeter takes his man off the dribble, fights yeah. for second chance points is on the glass, moves well against the zone. He's finding those little gaps and, and flashing and catch, look opposite. He can score, knock down a three with his feet set, quick feet yeah. on the perimeter, defensively guard three through five. That's the type of like front court guy in the NBA where all those things fit and, and regardless of, of the style you're playing, where he can switch on screens, he can get his own shot, he can knock him down, he's open. That's the separation between him and Kendall Brown for me right now is that there's times you're almost like begging Kendall Brown to shoot where Sohan yeah. is, is a three. Like there was a possession against West Virginia. He was wide open. He didn't shoot. He's kind of getting yelled at to shoot, didn't reverse it. It came back and they like airballed it. Like that's just – that's mental. That's in Kendall Brown's head. Yep. I don't think Jeremy Sohan has that. It's just more of getting the opportunity. He plays more minutes and – meaningful minutes and he's produced yeah they're both in the jabari smith zone of not turning 19 until may uh they're Mm. both really really young uh i agree with you i'd take jeremy sohan it took me a while to come around no me too me too yeah there's and and that's like i i I say that often about sort of the the draft twitter dialogue discourses people are so high on them before and it just hadn't like happened. You saw like these flashes early in the season, the first few games right. where he's playing twelve minutes. He had a good player too, but I'm never like, hey, let's let's overreact on a player too. Peyton Watson, it's like he had to make a player two ten times before I said maybe this is a thing. Now Sohan has done it, and he's had to play more because Adam Flagler is out and LJ Cryer is out, and despite that not being the position, they've had to move pieces, so he had to carry more of this load as well. And he and he's delivered. He has. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, the thing that Baylor has done over the last couple games particularly is they'll run him off of, like, pin downs and stuff, and he'll catch at the wing and, like, pump fake, stop on a dime, dribble baseline, then spin back and, like, make a mid-range jumper, spin back and get all the way to the rim. And it's just like, oh, that's, like, 
what an NBA team will ask him to do. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he like came like on, down. He came right? like downhill, like looped around a screen, came downhill for one of those last game, and, and that was almost the same reaction I had. So yeah, that's uh, that's an NBA move from an NBA body and a future NBA player. Yeah, no, um, I, I would have Jeremy Sohan comfortably in the top twenty. I would say right yeah. now. Um, and, and I, I had a have Kendall Brown. Right like, I, I'd have Kendall Brown like right around twenty as well. Um, that's somewhere the, in that like fifteen to twenty range. That's the as I was watching games and, and kind of updating. I think I had Sohan at twenty and Kendall Brown at twenty one for for the time being. Yeah. Uh, what other freshmen? You, you had two more on your list. I do. Uh, let's let's start with one of your hits right now. They'll we'll circle back to me. Let's let's talk AJ Griffin. Okay. Let, let's talk yeah. about AJ Griffin and his Jeff Bagwell shooting stance. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, that right? honestly, like, I, I felt bad that I retweeted that at like you know one o'clock a.m. Uh, Eastern time because yeah. that might be my favorite tweet that you've ever done. <laughs> you never know, man. You never know with the internet what what hits and what doesn't. It wasn't even supposed to be like comedic i think everything i do is a, a little snarky but he just has such a wide base on the catch it's like dude how do you catch and like jab step out of that like that's a shot that's yeah. not like a fake and you're going like it's, it's a wide base it it goes in it, it has to be shortened and i had a few people tweet at me like do you think that's it's fixable is it better that he's narrow than wide and then ironically if you watch the game that half court sort of heave he had uh that that went in he could not have been oh, more yeah, narrow right. his feet were like on yeah. top of each other and i know it's just like a quick release flick thing i i don't really have major concerns but it it has to be drawn in but for his game if he's not there he's certainly getting there or or he's on his way he's also starting to live up to the heavy preseason billing he was great against louisville i mean i I know he's five for five from three which helps but it was the it was the multiple effort plays it was the cutting it was the stuff away from the ball it was uh finishing through contact and he has these, this soft touch on the turnaround jumpers when it is 12 feet and in. Uh, can handle a ball, initiate a little bit of offense. It's, it's similar. It, it's consistency. You, you look at his last six games, it's 6 for 11, 8 for 13, 1 for 7, 5 for 10. It, it's not always going to be these 8 for 13s with 5 for 5 from 3. If he can find a way to sort of, similar to all these other guys, split the difference, he's probably going to be in this top 7, top 8 discussion. He may be there regardless. Like, even without that, people had him that high. Yeah, I, I think he's probably there, to yeah. be honest. Like, I, it's just kind of hard to come up with other names, right? right? Like, at the end of the day, uh, it, you're going to have a meltdown about this. But oh, no. Would he go ahead of Johnny Davis? Not for me. Not for my money. He could. Yeah. Not. Uh, I, I don't. No, like, don't. that's the thing. Like, it, I, I don't think I would take him over Johnny Davis necessarily. But, like... I'm just saying, like, it could be a thing. Like, he's averaging 12 points and five rebounds uh, over the last uh, 13 games that he's played, shooting 54, 53, 70 uh, from the field. His, his, like, average game now is 12 points, five, six rebounds. And in that Duke situation where he has Wendell Moore taking up a bunch of possessions and – um, obviously Paulo's taken up a bunch and you're going to hit Mark Williams five times on the roll and you're going to hit, yeah. um, Trevor Keels when he's been healthy, he's going to get some possessions obviously. And it, they're just kind of loaded. Like I'll be honest, th- this Duke team is still my favorite to win the title. 
if if it's this AJ Griffin, yeah, it, it should be. Yeah. And I would argue for him. There, there's sometimes prospects go places, and it's like eh, it's a little bit crowded. Like I don't I don't know what your your role is going to be. I don't know how much you're going to play. For him coming off multiple injuries and missing significant amount of time in, in high school, significant amount of time in the summer, just rehabbing. They didn't have to throw him completely into the fire from the first game. We're, we're talking now where he's just started to put strings of games together, and that's okay. Duke is is still rolling. They're still great. We're, we're criticizing Paul Mancara from three and, and Mark Williams getting too many rolls. Those, those guys are both first-round picks. Uh, yeah, Wendell it's Moore's not being too discussed many. As, it's just like they're yeah, it's just limited first-round picks, but it's yeah. you're not living and dying by – AJ Griffin going one for seven. That's fine. Like he he can have yeah. those games with with the team that's built with him, not around him, but with him. Those other pieces have have kind of brought him along. And and now if he's starting to sprint and everybody's running with him, that that's a good team to bet some money on to make a run in March. Yeah, like they still haven't lost a game by more than five points. I know that they lost to Miami and they lost to Florida State, two teams that are not highly rated by a lot of the computer systems right now. Even though Miami is, you know near the top of the ACC and you know what are they they're like eight and two nine and two something like they're that good. in the ACC a, right now get old, old stale like, they got a bunch of old play yeah which is which is good some some rosters can be and should be constructed that way and that's why they've been able to battle and compete and yeah. stay at the top of the ACC right now yeah so no I'm I'm in on AJ Griffin uh and then mm. do we want to talk about anyone else or do we want to move let me back? see my list I got one more name it's um Josh Minot Oh, here we are. We're here. Uh, we're seeing this guy that, that I've been I'm, long... I'm giving you the floor. <laughs> well, I want you to kind of have the floor because I, I, I've said forever <laughs> why I, I love Josh Minor. He's starting now. The last two games, if you add the numbers, he's averaging a double-double. He yep. can defend. He blocks shots on both ends. He can take off and, and finish down one end or, or vice versa. Really quick hands on defense. He's not afraid to roll up his sleeves and, and get on the glass at, at the, the worst right now he could be is a, a high-level garbage man. And at the yeah. same time, he, he can go off the dribble and score and exploit mismatches. He can play out of pick and roll on both sides. He finishes with both hands. He's a combo forward that, that's not playing outside of his, himself. Like there's a lot of times where yeah. Memphis takes a bad shot and here's like an arm just coming out of nowhere and tipping it in. It's like, oh, there's Josh Minot for another one. Uh, I'm hoping yeah. the three-point shot develops. Uh, it's an important lesson with all these guys not to write them off, freshmen off especially after 10 games because yep. you start to figure it out. You get comfortable in your surroundings with your coaching staff, with your schemes offensively and defensively, and there's a point where they just flip the switch and say, this is how i got to play to get on the floor, and then I'll show them everything else. Josh yep. Minot was really rebounding, an energy guy. Got to keep him out there. Then the offense is there. Uh, Peyton Watson, uh, I'm going to get there by playing really hard defense, turning the ball handler, and then I can show them what I can do on offense. And, and that will kind of open up everything else for those guys, especially for Josh Minot. And, and Memphis has been an absolute roller coaster, and, and he's a, a good part of the, the ride that has taken off this year. Yep. Uh, all of that's right. I mean, look, I, I don't have a ton to add to that, Matt. Like, he, he's been really good. He's been really, really good. He had 13-12 and 12, uh, with two assists, two blocks, and a steal against East Carolina. He had – 18 and nine with two assists and two steals against Tulsa, like really, really good. Uh, the athleticism just translates like it's the effort level plus athleticism is NBA level, especially with the balance, the coordination. Yeah. He's, he's just good. Like I still think he should go back to school. (laughs) Uh, A lot of these guys should, 
uh, he'd be hard for me to pass in the first round. Late, 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 late. Not getting crazy. Not saying we're taking him 10th, but 27, 20, 29, 30. Yeah. Long you look. take him over Jean Montero. You would take him over. Oh, yeah. Would you take Go him ahead, over Rattle, Caleb Rattle Houston? Because, by the way, another guy we should bring up yeah. in this conversation is Caleb Houston. He's yeah. been much better over the course of the last month. Shooting the, the three ball much better. The the sets they're running for him are much better. He's not a, here's a double screen run off. Here's a screen and let me shoot on an empty side. Here's a, a kick out relocation. Uh, yeah. I'm still taking Josh Minot. Not sure yet. I, yeah. I think that that's, a, that that's one where it's questionable now that Caleb is shooting 37% from three again and looks more like the guy that we kind of thought we would see. Um, Caleb is kind of reestablishing himself, I think, a little bit as a first-round pick to me, which is really good. I'm excited to see that. Um, questionable, which one I would take, him or Josh Minot. Uh, mm. I'm, like, purposely ranking Josh Minot low because I think that, like, even from a skill perspective, like, he is so low. Um, he, he, he's the farthest away of any of the guys we just yeah. mentioned. That, that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Honestly, he might be ahead of Peyton Watson. Like that, well, that's I don't think the so. Thing. I don't think so. I think Peyton's ahead, at least. The wing defense, I, Peyton can, can score a little bit more. The shot's a little bit better. The yeah. way he can self-create a little bit better. Josh also a really good passer. We didn't talk about that. Like, he's a really good passer on yeah. the move. He has good vision. Probably better passer than Peyton Watson. They're good. This is my like late first um, treasure chest of, of prospects. I'm going to be fascinated to see which of these guys are willing to go like be essentially like pre-draft candidates yeah. uh, and go in the late first, or will they try and go back, develop their game, and go in the top 10 next year? Because I think that there's a big group of these guys. Like I, I don't know how many guys are going to be in this draft yet. All these guys that we've just talked about are a ways away, outside of maybe Sohan. Like I, I think that we're starting to see enough from Sohan to where it's like you might actually really have to bounce this year yeah don't mess um, with sohan but it's it's the the pre-draft stuff <laughs> i'm trying to lift you up man God you're dragging. It, i knew it would get you i knew it would get you i knew it would get you I, i'm trying to <laughs> we're off the rails took us an hour and 15 minutes uh i don't even know what i was gonna say the 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 pre thing here's the pre-draft thing i, I got it I'm, I'm back the the synapses are firing don't, don't mess with the sohan and meanwhile this dude has like blonde hair and like obviously like has a real depends on the like, week he's had about hair. four different hairstyles but the the latest oh, one is, is blonde yes if you go back to school the, the numbers are actually there you, you can see them if you're drafted in the the top 10 the guaranteed money is significantly higher than if you're 25 to 30 so that that's sort of part of it too that's literally what I'm hashtagging this episode. Don't mess with Sohan. Uh, well, it, hey, I didn't know how to pronounce his name. Then it was it explained. I think Fran Fraschilla explained it during a, their, their last game. That that's how it's said. And I said, oh, that's perfect. That's good. God damn it, Penny. Um, okay, let's go to mailbag. Uh, from yes. Edgar Santeria at Willie Law. Buy, sell, hold. Mike so, Miles, Andre Curbelo, and Colin Gillespie. Ooh, uh, what what how, what necessitates a buy? I guess do I have to do like one for each of the guys, or can I sell all of them? Can I hold? What's our? I think our you can do whatever you want to do here. I, I was gonna pick one for each, but like if you if, I, buy if I picked one from them, each, I think I would buy Miles. I'd, I'd yeah. sell Curbelo. I'd hold Gillespie, but I don't really. I'm not really high on on either of those two. Thought Miles would make a little bit more of a jump this year. I know he's playing well, but I thought. He diversify a little bit more of the scoring facilitating. Uh, yeah, that's my answer. 
Damien Baugh is yeah. actually pretty intriguing from from that team too. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I would buy Mike Miles, sell Curbelo, and uh, hold on Gillespie. I am, I think, the like king of the hype train of the Colin Gillespie. You are has a good chance to play in the NBA. Uh, thing, does so. does and and uh, as I try to mold my own views on on scouting and evaluation, does Jose Alvarado's success sway any of your thoughts on, on guys that i don't want to say were wrote off but sort of like yeah not really gonna crack a nba rotation then surprises you does that change your kind of view of when you're looking at these guys that maybe may not be slotted in the in the top 60 mm-hmm. but we're seeing outside top 75 top 100 guys get opportunities and, and be contributing players on nba floors the guys that are elite defensively and can pass and like have a good nba like skill level even if they're small Yep, and they're super tough, and they're willing to fucking scratch and claw and fight like Jose Alvarado is. Those guys, I think, have a better shot. I would say. Right. Um, Curbelo right now can't really do anything on an NBA court. I'm sorry. Like, he's electric with the ball. Like with the ball in his hands, he's better than the other two. It's just like I, yeah, he can't. Yeah, he can't can't finish the product. Get paint touches, then what? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Okay. Next up, oh man, um, this is an interesting one. Okay, how do you think a full season and NCAA tournament would have affected the scouting and evaluation of the 2020 NBA draft class? Did more players get drafted for a role and fit the normal due the due to the dearth of play on video? Did some players slide or rise more than they should have? That is from Twanathan. Uh, still got nothing. Uh, on Twitter, okay. uh, that's actually something that is interesting. Yeah, like because the draft was like I've heard it both ways from NBA teams on the 2020 draft. Like because the draft wasn't held until November, teams right. had every ability to go through and like deep dive on every single game that a prospect played like multiple times, uh, higher level evaluators, like general managers were involved earlier. Coaches were a little bit more involved in that draft process just cause they had time. Like right. they weren't doing anything. Um, like I remember the story was like Steve Kerr Steve was Kerr. like watching mm-hmm. draft. Wiseman. Right. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, like I do think that like the lack of NCAA tournament probably hindered, uh, some evaluation. It, ended up not allowing uh, teams to really, uh, I guess, like get like a full picture of like competition level. Right. Um, who, who is, it, is there any guys in particular that stand out? I, I'm just looking at like who could have been that who, guy that even moved up more so. Well, the, the, the funny one that I think people would point to is Tyrese Halliburton. But that's Halliburton what I'm looking at, but wasn't that last... Wrist. Right, that's my point. Like, he, he was injured. Yeah. They weren't good after he went down. The year before, they were better. That's the right. name that sticks out is, like, how the heck did he go 12th? It's because he got hurt. People had questions about the jumper. It was a little, little bit of a funky release, and he's been awesome. So I, we're probably all wrong that he wasn't in the top three to five. Um, but Georgia, yeah, wasn't like, making what... the turn- Georgia wasn't making the tournament. Uh, James Wiseman was gone after two games. LaMelo Ball didn't play here. Patrick Williams was playing 20 minutes a night. Uh, Isaiah Cora went fifth. I, I don't know. There's not like a, another guy. I mean, Obi Toppin went eighth, yeah. and he could have even went a little bit. If the Dayton went on some magical Final Four run, maybe he goes like sixth. But I don't think yeah. there were any 
like Aaron E. Smith was hurt, so like he didn't play. Cole Anthony, North Carolina wasn't very good. Isaiah Stewart, Washington wasn't really good. So I don't know if there's necessarily a name that I think that could rise. Maybe like Sadiq Bay. Like if Villanova had like a really good run and, and he showed the yeah. three point shooting stuff that he, he could have went a little bit higher. Maybe he jumps Naismith and he goes fourteenth to the Celtics. Um yeah. The the name that I would say that I wonder if I wonder if he would have gone as low and I still oh, don't know I, how I, this guy I, I got went it. as low. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. Tyrese Maxey. Yep. Yeah. That that's the one. Where like Tyre, I really wonder if because that team was really good. They went fifteen and three in the SEC play. They went twenty five and six over the course of the season. Yeah, I really wonder if like he would have gone in the lottery had there been more time, like for that, them to be successful in the NCAA tournament. That that's a good one, and and that's why Ty Ty Washington kind of puts my brain in a pretzel because the Kentucky guards pan yeah. out and Halbert. I'm sorry, geez, Maxi had like thirty. Three eight six five seven hundred yeah. last night. Like every stat he had. So I I went back today being prepared because I thought you were gonna throw some tie tie stuff at me. So that last maxi uh, year he had at Kentucky fourteen points, four point three rebounds, three point two assists, shot forty three percent from the field, twenty nine percent from three, eighty three percent from the free throw line. He now shoots forty percent from three. Tie tie Washington's numbers are kind of close. 13 points per game, four rebounds, four and a half assists, 49% from the field, 37% from three. It, are, are there parallels? And I don't think that's fair to Ty Ty because Tyrese Maxey has been incredible. But maybe, maybe. And, and that's that's what kind of like every mid-range jumper that he misses is say, I don't know. And people say, Kentucky guards, they work. Look at Maxey's numbers. Look at other guys' numbers. So maybe. I got to watch more. Here, Here's a good one speaking of Kentucky. Because we haven't really talked about this guy much on yeah. the show. And yeah. he's been absolutely outstanding, and I think it's worth discussing him. Uh, any chance Oscar Shibway gets more than a cup of coffee in the league? I get the limitations, particularly particularly within the current modality of play. But it seems like he could stick under the right circumstances. No? Uh, that question comes from John Whitlow. Uh, yeah, I think he could stick. Like, wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all. The thing that worries me a little bit is... I don't think he's outstanding defensively. Um, I think he would need to be really, really good defensively to like really, like truly stick. Because the thing that worries me most about him is just like the touch around the basket whenever he's dealing with length. Mm. Uh, like you go back, you watch the Walker Kessler tape. Uh, like I thought that words out of my mouth, yeah. Yeah, he really struggled. Like, I know that he went, like, 7-12 and had 16-14, and 14, right? It, 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 he seemed to struggle to me to finish over Walker Kessler, which is, like, the size of the guy that he will play at the NBA level. He's definitely not a four at the NBA level. He can't move well enough. He can't shoot, doesn't have the perimeter skill. I think that if he can improve his hands, improve his touch around the basket, uh and improve defensively, he'll have a good shot to stick, but it's not a surefire thing by any stretch. No. Rebounding always translates, so we do have to remember that. Yep. The offense from 15 feet and out is like end of the shot clock. Do we need to take a desperation jumper? He can hit one or two. It's good timing. I actually, yesterday, I went through every basket he scored on the Adidas circuit in pre -high, I mean, high school going into his senior year just to see like what did – not miss because he was an, an absolute monster, but what type of offense? It was mostly putbacks, dunks, going up and down the court. 
he was legitimately the Terminator. Like, he was awesome. But, but it wasn't like, hey, here's like this untapped NBA skill that we don't have. Has to be able to, to I mean, the rebounds had to be there. But he has to be able to defend pick and rolls, call out screens so his guards don't get destroyed, and, and then not have to, as many struggles as he had versus length because everybody in the media is going to be longer, bigger, et cetera. From Caleb Martin 43, uh, I just need to hear Matt Penny talk about how awesome Chet would be in OKC. Uh, I need the funkiness oh, of a team with Shea, Giddy, and Chet in my life. I'll just give you Is that an Andrew Schlecht burner account or, or what? Uh, Schlecht, would- get out of here. Your name ain't <laughs> Caleb Schlecht. Uh, he, he would be awesome. When, when I talked to those guys on the NBA Athletic Show a couple months ago, I said, I don't want to scare you, but Chet's like a little bit Poco-y with like more of an edge and a little bit bigger, a little bit better shooter. I don't know if that helped or, or hurt them. Uh, it, it would be great in Oklahoma City because those guys also, I don't want to say free reign, but they have more offensive freedom. and they, they have more opportunity to explore their own games because as much as they're trying to win there's also playing time available i think he'd be a, a crazy pairing with with josh giddy and with shea and and dort and, and running around I think that that offense would actually fit there I think jabari smith fits well too as a, a shooter uh, jabari smith and josh giddy had a pick and roll with shea on the weak side and then can do whatever he wants there, there's a lot of possibilities there i i like both those guys are both fits. Those I like those two more than the Apollo fit in Oklahoma City specifically. I do as well. Uh, this is actually a really good question that I'd kind of forgotten about. Uh, how much do the G League Ignite guys have to gain from playing in the Rising Stars competition at All-Star Weekend? Great question. Will they be able to talk to scouts and have meetings with front offices? This is from not DB Cooper. I don't know about the second part at this point, yeah. um, but... What do they have to gain? I, I mean, if one of those one of those guys goes out and shows out, that'd be significant. I'll be honest; I'm not a big fan of this idea. Like, uh, maybe I would have been last year when there were better players in the G no, League. I, I, like, I feel it, a little bit bad about that. It's it's a little like, bit of a gamble, too, right? It's like if those guys is. are great, and and, and Jaden Hardy since. I came back. He's again. He's been better. He had like another thirty-point game or twenty-five-point game. He looked a little bit less scattered, a little bit less. I'm on an island to create and scoring within the offense. If he does that in that setting, he's all over the place. Some people have him six. Some people have him twenty-six. If he plays well uh, there, you're not going to go he'll, off. He'll one. he'll look great in that setting too. He could, but if he's knocking down shots, maybe they got to get people a little excited. But there's there's also stuff to to lose too. Marshawn Beauchamp is putting together. Uh, a great series of, of tape and games if he struggles it's like hey, is that just a, a rotational piece if, if michael foster gets beasted is it just hey I, I don't even know if he can he can play the five like can can he be drafted right. in the 40s it's more i don't know who the guys are going to select because it's not all of them but it seems it, it, like for what it's worth it the, seems like it's going to be the four that we would anticipate so hardy basically Daniels, Beauchamp, and Foster. And Foster. The guy I want to see is Scoot Henderson. Just going to say it. Uh, I do too. Being 17 years old, uh, this kid's going to be a star. I think Scoot Henderson has nothing to lose because he's not draft eligible. If he puts up a goose egg, he's 17 years old. He's got another year. If one of these guys puts up a goose egg, eh, could be uh, could be not great for them. Yeah, it's it's a risk. I'm very interested to see how this goes. Uh, I don't know. I, I will be interested. I'm not real sure. 
I don't know what to think of it yet. I would prefer that they not do this, but uh, that's also just because I like to see the young guys, like in the NBA, as much as I like to see these um, prospects. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do one more question. Good batch so far. From uh, BCS Buckets, Ben. Uh, what up, Ben? Thoughts on Arkansas's Jalen Williams? Oh, also this curious is you. if there's. Uh, any international guys making a rise? Yeah, you got Chet Holmgren. I'll take Jalen Williams. Yeah, uh, I'm really it. interested in Jalen Williams. Really, really interested. I think you should watch him, Penny. Um, very much. I had three guys that were uh, up for my prospect of the week. Potentially, he was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, over his last, I want to say it's like six games. He's averaging like 15 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and two steals or something. Like it's insane. Uh, they figured out really how to use him on the perimeter, uh, dribble handoffs. He's starting to shoot threes a little bit, like yeah. to a greater level than what we thought he could. Uh, I'm still 10% worried that he is a small ball, like five, five because yeah. he's like 6'10", 240, and doesn't seem to have elite level length, but he's very skilled. I- I'm not, he- he's kind of a tricky one to fit because he's definitely a center, I think. He's pretty good defensively. He moves pretty well in ball screen coverages, but he's definitely going to be undersized. Uh, he's one that, like, over the last couple of weeks, I've really tried to wrap my head around in a pretty substantial way. Um, is this guy, like, for instance, like, is he better than Pete Nance? Like, honestly, I think he probably is. And I, yeah. Pete Nance, like, in the 60s, and he's two years younger than Pete Nance, right? So, like, yeah. I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around Jalen Williams a little bit. I, I think I need to figure out what exactly the role in the NBA is as an undersized center. Because I don't think he's as twitchy as someone like Larry Nance, right? Like, I don't think that you no, can have no, him like guard threes and fours. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not real sure. The shot's a, a little weird, too. I, I've only watched highlights. I haven't watched full games yet. But, like, the follow-through kind of, like, ends low. Like, it doesn't end high. That was the one thing that, that stood out to me. Uh, I've seen yeah. the buzz. I, I've seen the box scores. So I'm not going to lie and pretend and, and read off those. I, I have to watch him. Okay. Uh, thoughts on this is actually this is another one from me um, from Witter SR, uh, who is a Canadian basketball person. Okay. Um, thoughts on Leonard Miller, who is like a six foot ten wing at Fort Ooh. Erie Prep in the Ontario League. Have you watched any of Leonard yet? In person, and I see him again Thursday. Do you really? Yeah, I, I really I'm, do. Yeah, he played at the I'm Zero Gravity Prep Showcase, and then he plays. At the National Prep Showcase Invitational at Rhode Island College on Thursday, I will be there. Yeah, eligible for the 2022 draft and gaining some hype. Mike Schmidt, I believe that's supposed to be Mike Schmitz. Uh, shout out Mike Schmidt as well. Uh, Schmidt was Schmitz. talking about him the other day uh, as a potentially 2022 eligible prospect. So I watched him early in the season. Yeah, uh, I have not caught up in like the last month. I would say. Mm-hmm. I thought like college player for sure, but like a legit, like real high upside college player. The thing that worried me was athleticism. Um, doesn't seem to have incredible uh, explosiveness to be able to create his own shot, but is incredibly polished for his size as a ball handler. Part of the problem here as well, the tape that I watched was him going against guys that were like six foot five, like non athletes. Yeah. So like, it's kind of tricky, I think, to uh, to evaluate the tape that I saw. Uh, you might have had a different experience though. Uh, but I, like from the tape that I saw, definitely a high major like player. No, that should, yeah, no question. 
go to college. Like very interesting potential prospect in 2023 was my I, take. I, I almost I don't want to say I found it, but I, I watched him almost by accident because the the zero gravity prep classic was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I went on Saturday and I got in the gym and a few people were like, Have you seen the kid from Canada? He like thirty yesterday. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. But whatever, I'll I'll go check it out. They're on like the third court and it was like not in an order of importance, but they're playing like a, a lower level team. I'm like, I'll go take a look. So I went and sat back there with a, a couple scouts and there's a, a guy from Canada who's kinda like giving me the rundown on him. He, yep. Very stiff, very upright. I'm like, I don't I don't know. Then he hits a three. Then he takes off the dribble and dunks at a guy's head. Then he faces up and shoots again. And he, he has like another 28 points. I don't want to say he's sleepwalking, but he didn't have to put in a lot of energy to get there. I was super intrigued. I didn't say, oh, my gosh, i got to text my NBA friends and, and Sam and, yeah. and say, like, this is the guy. Right. Has high major interest. I mean, the Canadian scout I was with said it, it's pretty much between him and Shaden Sharp in that class, and now the classes are all – all wacky uh intriguing intriguing looking forward to to seeing again against higher level of competition too and, and then kind of making my analysis from there i don't think he would see an nba floor if he was drafted this would be a draft and stash or, or g league guy to, to get minutes there uh but at at 6 10 6 11 more perimeter based i i get it i get the appeal yeah, no, I do too. It's funny. I'm looking through my text messages. I sent a mutual friend, uh, assistant coach of ours, mm. uh, a text on November 5th saying like, you need to take a look at this kid. Um, you need to like really check him out. He like he is someone that would be a great fit for your program. Interesting. Um, they... So I'm, I'm, looking, I'm re- looking right here. I have the I have the schedule. So Thursday they play. I'm sorry. So the Friday they play Worcester Academy. It was TJ Power, who's like a top 50, top 75 kid, high major kid. And they play NBA Global Academy on Thursday. I'm not sure who's on that NBA Global. NBA Academy has three teams at this event. But they got kids committed to Cal, to Baylor. So it'll be a good measuring stick game too. Yeah, if he plays well there, I do really wonder if we start to hear his name as a 2022. Um, Could see it. He has the kind of talent to where – he would get picked. Like, I think he would get picked at least in the second round right now. It's yeah, just, second round. Second round flyer. I, yeah, I think the ceiling is much higher if he goes to college and, like, balls out in college because he's, like, a six foot ten shot creator. Yeah. But, like, the thing is, the tape that I watched was literally, like, him grabbing a rebound because he's taller than everyone, dribbling up and down the court, and just, like, fucking wrecking kids. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> that was basically what I looked at. I, I watched like 10 minutes in the back and said, yeah, he's good enough. Like, what do you want me to say? He was playing against guys who are – their center was like 6'3 or 6'4. It's like, how do you think this movie ends? Like, this is not going to end well for the, the other group here. Yeah, like he was like playing these like unathletic kids and just like fucking slicing and dicing them like in open court. And it's just like, what I didn't are we know doing he was dra- I didn't know he was draft eligible. That gives uh, an extra incentive to the trip here. Yeah, Schmitz, uh, Schmitz said that. I believe that he's right about that. Because okay, I think good. that he is um, – I think he turns 19, right? And he's a uh, prep school yeah. kid, obviously. So Yeah, can- Canadian stuff is a little tough, too, because they reclass, they declass uh, often. Yeah. Yeah. So he turns 19 in November, uh, Leonard Miller. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. And, and then, like, the other part of it is, like, how much does it – affect him that didn't didn't he do like a year at wasatch or something like that or like he did he, he, he yeah point? he went somewhere yeah. then went back yeah so like i don't totally know 
how that would affect his eligibility. Maybe he, I, I think he is draft eligible, but like, don't do, don't quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> According to Sam Vecini, I'm watching I'm draft eligible <laughs> Leonard Miller. I'll just yeah. I'll be very vague, like I can be potential. Yeah, draft I'm just doing like the, the I'm line. doing like the math on like the CBA rules, basically. Don't, don't even um, try. I, I have people tweeted me like, "Is this guy draft eligible? Is that guy draft?" I, I don't know. They like when I when I'm right, I'm wrong. When I'm wrong, I'm very wrong. Yeah. So I, I but, don't know. To answer the question, Leonard Miller, really fucking interesting prospect that yeah. I don't know what to do with yet because <laughs> the tape that I've seen is him like tooling killing, killing fucking people. teenage six foot two <laughs> kids. Yeah. So um, no disrespect to the six foot two kids. Okay. Prospects of the week, Matt Penny. We are up. Uh, I think that the, uh, the headache pills that I took right before we started recording kicked in, which is nice. Good. I'm, uh, I'm rolling right along. Two Penny. more hours. Halfway through. We're ready. Let's do this. You're up. Oh, we were, we're kind of mainstream in, in the guys we talked about. So I want to dig a little bit deeper this week for my prospect of the week. I'm going to go back to the Atlantic 10, the conference I quote-unquote played in. And I'm going to go with Deron Holmes from Dayton. He was a, a top 30, top 40-ish guy out of high school in Arizona and was a huge deal when Anthony Grant and Dayton secured his commitment. He's six foot ten. He's put on some size since, since he's gotten to campus. It took him about five games to get his feet wet. Now he's averaging close to 12 points per game, six rebounds, 2.7 blocks, and shooting 66% of the field. Really good hands uh, in and out of area. Can short roll them, can roll them all the way to the rim. Catches cleanly, dunks, has a couple moves out of the post. Has a really nice right hook that he can get to. Has this little pump fake and to get his man off the ground. Takes one dribble, looks to rise up and, and dunk there. A soft touch from mid-range. He's only taken six three-pointers this year. Uh, that's not really his role, not what he has to do, but I, I think he's going to be able to when he can take a, a few more in there. Stays with plays on defense. He rotates instinctually and will, will drop as the initial man is, is beat. He'll then rotate quickly as a weak side shot blocker. He closes out hard to jump shooters. Really good timing on his jumps and his second jumps. He's a year or two away, but I, I felt like this was a decent opportunity for a guy to, to put on the radar for likely the next draft class or two, but making enough noise as a freshman in the Atlantic 10 that it warrants some mentioning. So you think he's a four long-term, right? Yeah, probably. But some of that's like you can be a four if you're taking more than six three-point attempts in a season. Yeah, and by the way, like – I don't think he takes more than six three-point attempts in a season right now. <laughs> like <that's, laughs> I don't know about that either. Yeah, that, that's kind of so. Oh, this is hilarious. I pulled up his numbers. How many threes do you think he's taken this year? I think six. Right. Dead on six. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I say. He's it. he's only yeah. taken six this year, so I can't say he's a shooter non-shooter if he's taken he's one for uh, six or whatever it is. Okay, maybe the pills haven't kicked in yet. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, yeah, interesting player. It's it's hard because I want that Dayton team to be better than it is, and it feels like yeah. they've kind of figured some things out after that terrible start. But like, I, they have Tumani Kamara, they have Deron Holmes, like Kobe Elvis is like a good player in that league. Um, they also have the kid who's the he's like a wing. He's a freshman, like redshirt freshman wing. I think he's from like the DMV. Not um, Elijah. Not Elijah Weaver. No, it's um, um, R.J. Blakeney is the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Played, uh, played in our circus team throw. Like, yeah, like kind of interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
probably not like an NBA prospect, but yeah. like, you know, a, a really, really good college player who's gotten on the court young. Um, I just want this team to be better than it is. And part of it is like, I get frustrated watching them because I really like Tamani Kamara and he needs a bit of space and I want him to be able to shoot. And like, I find him to be like a fascinating athlete who's like six, eight, seven, two wingspan and can like theoretically do things, but doesn't actually do things yet. And then there's like Deron Holmes who actually produces now Tr- tricky team to watch when I yes. watch them. Mm-hmm. Cause like they, they it, it's like, entirely different from the Dayton team that had Obi Toppin. And I think that like my brain hasn't totally on like, an Obi yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like they turn the ball over a fucking crazy amount. They don't take a ton of threes. Like it's just a bizarre team compared mm-hmm. to what they were when they had Obi. And I think my brain hasn't wrapped that around yet, but Deron Holmes is a good one. I, I think he probably will play in the NBA at some point. Yeah. What that, what that many shot blocks as a freshman too. It, it speaks to how he's able to like kind of, see when the the play is developing and see where he can time his jumps right and i don't know if he's going to go yep. on to average four blocks per game but to, to do that rebound a little bit get up and down get stronger in a calendar year it's it's at least been something that i've kind of watched more the last week and just want to share here yeah so he has four games with five or more blocks so far Which this year kind of nuts uh, he is top 30 in block rate according to ken palm so yeah no this is a he's a good one okay um my prospect of the week is a bit more mainstream, I guess, than yeah. yours. Uh, Justin Lewis at Marquette. Mm. And as much as anything, I just want to talk about Justin Lewis because we haven't really talked about him yet. And I think he is a potential first round pick in the 2022 NBA draft if he can prove that he can shoot. That is uh, a real concern right now because he's shooting 32% from three. But. He has some really interesting scorer skills, like his footwork for being someone who is what, six, seven, two forty, mm-hmm. something like that. Like a big body dude has a seven foot wingspan. Uh, his scoring skill set, his footwork, his ability to like pivot, his ability to like spin back and like get pull up shots. Like it's actually really impressive. And it's not just like out of post ups with mid range stuff. Like he'll attack, a, he'll t- attack a closeout, like off of an advantage and stop pump fake, like spin back and then knock down like a pull up jumper. Um, really, really impressive scoring skill set, really, really impressive balance for a guy that's this big, this heavy, this strong, uh, does need to shoot it from three. I have some real concerns about the jumper, uh, defensively. I think he knows where to be. I think he's really good instinctually in terms of staying in position, staying where he needs to be rotating. I worry a bit about the lateral quickness. Obviously he's 240. he's listed at 245. Now I'm looking at it. Um, maybe could drop even 10 pounds and like add yeah. just that little bit of quickness more pop. And if he does that, I think he's a really interesting potential rotation player in the NBA. I, I like your first point. It was mine too. He, he's really good with those reverse pivots in the post. He has yeah. that really good footwork and he takes advantage of that stronger, wider frame. That's gotten in better shape. Could probably use a little bit more toning or, or honing. I like the touch when he's coming off those like dribble weave handoffs into lane uh, he, he's made some big shots lately and reminds the crowd by quieting the baby, and he, he's into it. He, he does. I, the, the bad of it, the bad of the tape, the negatives are not great defensively. Like the, He's got some bad closeouts, run bys. Uh, yeah. doesn't always sprint and, and change ends, and, and that plays into he doesn't challenge shots. He can ball watch a little bit. He did have a nice steal and an advanced See, pass for an assist. I think he's okay on defense. Am I wrong? I don't know if you're wrong, but th- that's what's – 
it, at that size, and if you're not yeah. shooting it, the the defense has to be like good to very good. And I, I don't know if he's quite there. Yeah, no, I get, I do but get uh, but that. I, look, I I like him. He he's made a, a nice leap from freshman to sophomore year, and, and a reason that Marquette has had success. A, a lot of it falls with him. Yeah, no, I, I think that you're definitely right on that. Marquette has been uh, one of the more fun surprises in college basketball this season. Uh, after dropping to eight and six following a double overtime loss to Creighton, uh, they ripped off seven straight wins against. Providence, Seton Hall, Villanova, Xavier, Seton Hall again. Like, really, really impressive wins. Um, they've beaten Illinois this year already. I don't know, man. I, I'm a I'm a fan of Marquette. They've played one of the ten toughest schedules in college basketball. Justin Lewis is the guy that serves the drink there, along with Tyler Kolek and Daryl Morsell. Uh, Morsell's shooting has come back down to earth a little bit uh, yeah. over the last, what, few weeks, I would say. Maybe even the last month, realistically. Mm-hmm. Um Tyler Kolek uh, is not shooting well, but he really just like kind of runs the offense at a really high level. He passes the ball, gets everyone involved. Uh, I, I really enjoy watching uh, Marquette. They're one of my favorites uh, in the country randomly this year. Like I, yeah. I just really, I know that when I toss on a Marquette game, I'm going to get to see a team that really fights defensively, really fights for their coach, um, plays good, smart team basketball. And occasionally you'll get like a Justin Lewis explosion like he did against Seton Hall where he had like 33, 10 and seven. You know what you're getting every time you turn it on. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay, Penny. Uh, do we want to what, – what do we got? What, what have you been watching on TV? <laughs> a lot of basketball and then Ozark. I, I'm about three or four episodes in to the, the new season. That's that's the only TV I, I've watched. It's been a heavy basketball slate. I think I watched like five straight games on, on Saturday. Sunday it was like Ohio State, Purdue, and, and catching up with a couple others. Uh, I, I my, my head has not been necessarily in the media space outside of – Marty Bird and his usual BS down at the Ozarks that we're we're dealing with for one final season. Yeah, I have uh, I have not watched Ozark yet. Um, haven't even jumped in yet. Mm. Um, I will at some point, but just haven't haven't dove in yet. I've seen the first three seasons, I think. But I think yeah, I think um, this is the fourth season. Could be. Wrong. I think this is the fourth season. Yeah, there's a chance that I've only that I haven't seen like the last couple episodes I, of season three. I, I but, took a break and went back in because I was nudged that way after last season. I'm glad I did. I, I want to see this yeah. thing reach its final conclusion. Hopefully, with there'll be blood, but hopefully not uh, not too much. <laughs> You're rooting for the characters a little bit. So uh, I'm with you. I've not watched a ton of movies or TV. I did watch Archive 81 with Laura on Netflix, which is like an eight-episode horror thriller kind of thing. Really good, really unsatisfying ending, uh, (laughs) but really fun. Uh, And then I watched Michael Clayton yesterday. I was having like uh, – I had like like a million things on uh, my agenda over the course of the next week. And had like some minor anxiety concerns. <laughs> and I was like, I am just going to toss on a movie that I've seen 30 times and eat some comfort food, put on a, a movie like relax, yeah. put your feet up, in my, put a few extra yeah, in ice my cubes in the drink. Was, yeah. In my case, it was hop on the exercise bike oh, and that sounds miserable. do that. Yeah. I needed to hop on the exercise bike, um, hopped on the exercise bike, put on Michael Clayton I legit think that's like my favorite movie of the last twenty years. I it. It's so I'm actually good. surprised. I thought it'd be a, a little bit more offbeat, something I've never heard of before, like the Fifty Eighth Blue Balloon or something. Like you haven't seen that? No, I haven't. I don't know. I don't know what that, no. I don't know what that movie is. But no, my, Michael Clayton is my shit. And most importantly, the random movie that I found while searching for Australian sports. 
Uh, I sent you this beauty. It's yeah, I, a, uh, I laughed. It's a gem. It is the sum of all fears with Ben Affleck. How that movie. How random. There are so many random fucking movies that pop up on Australian TV. When was the last time the sum of all fears popped up on American TV? A while. Like, when was the last a time while. anyone when, thought about the sum I, of all fears I, I, I hadn't. in you, you American? Sent, you sent me, I think, the, the movie poster and I laughed. And I'm like, I haven't, I haven't even thought about that movie in a decade. I don't know. A, a long time. We we got uh, Ben Affleck. We got Morgan Freeman. We got uh, Liev Schreiber. We got mm-hmm. um, oh, Kieran Hines. Yeah. Uh, we got Philip Baker Hall. Like the the cast is loaded. We're, that reminds me. A, I, I, I still got to watch the Ray Donovan movie too. It's on Showtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's just a good thing complete we talked the about Boston this. triumvirate. Yeah. Here's the thing. How much money do you think the sum of all fears made? Oh, I think it made a lot. They make over hundred. It million? made a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It made 118 million. There you go. It's at 100. It's pretty good. And nobody remembers that it exists. No, but that was also (laughs) that run of like, oh, you have an explosion. Do you have a big action movie? There's a star to 100 million. We've even like dumbed it down more in the movie world, but there is a a stretch there where those movies like couldn't miss. Yeah, they really couldn't, could they? Like this, so this came out, uh, looks like May 31st, 2002. Oof, Uh, man. That weekend was Star Wars. It jumped uh, one of the Star Wars movies to be number one in the box office. It jumped Spider-Man to be number one in the box office. But most importantly, uh, the other movie that opened that weekend, Undercover Brother. Oh, okay. Well, it jumped that, I'm sure. (laughs) It outgrossed Undercover Brother. Yeah, unfortunately. Not a stunner there. Um, All right, Penny. Tell the people where they can find you on the internet. In the internet, on the internet, on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. I'll I'll be in the gym. I'll I'll be at uh I'll be in around this weekend. I got a, a road trip next weekend. I'll I'll let people in on once we get there next week. But yeah, give me a follow on Twitter. Rate, review, subscribe. Please. Go to the YouTube channel. Do all that stuff. We like it. We appreciate it. The questions are awesome too. That mailbag was a, a great a great bit. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. No, I we appreciate everyone who asks questions so much. It's so like we got fucking sixty five questions. Crazy. I think. Yeah. And, like, and you like put it on like as you press play sometimes. I know you have archived some good ones so we didn't get to and to get a fresh batch and we don't prepare yeah. in, in a good sense. This is like the actual real thoughts. Yeah, no, like for the mailbag stuff, I literally ask the day of because I don't want to prepare. Like, I want to just go off the cuff chaos. on those questions. Chaos agent. I think it's fun. It's chaos. It's enjoyable. Um, in terms of me, uh, I'll have something with Danny LaRue and Seth Partnow on the trade deadline coming this week. I'll have another podcast probably on the trade deadline coming later this week. Um, I think that's about all that I've got on my end. But please, as Matt said, go go get Matt Penny to 3,000 followers. Like, what We're are we close. doing here? This, this has been unbelievable Folks. growth here, though. This platform has uh, expanded my measly follower count to a lot of good I interactions, mean, a lot of good draft Twitter discourse all the time. Matt, Matt Penny here. Uh, I, I know how many people listen to the podcast. It's much more than 3,000. It's, it's uh, considerably more than 3,000. A lot of bots. But, it's but like 3,500. Get, Get everyone, get everyone to the Matt Penny follower. Let, yeah, let's go, guys. Come on, come on down. Um, 
go subscribe to the YouTube channel. I've been blown away by the support for the YouTube channel. Um, it's been so heartening to see you guys uh, subscribe there. Please go subscribe. Uh, it really, really helps us, uh, you know, hopefully get some money for the show. That would be a dream at some point. <laughs> yeah, take this um, wallpaper off the wall. We'll have a scroll. We're, we're, every episode we've done a little bit better. So the <laughs> a few more subscriptions probably help us too. Maybe that's the move. Maybe I'll put up like a photo of the guy and Michael Clayton, like Tom Wilkinson, like holding bread, and you'll have uh, in the background like subscribe to the YouTube. We channel. just need a Photoshop guy. That's all it takes. We need a new one every week. Oh my god! Uh, that's all I've got on my end. Uh, until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.